Hello and welcome to episode number 188, the Armin Show podcast. We are in the place to be. We have a guest on this episode. Who is our guest today? Armin, this is Farnoosh Brock and I am so happy to be your guest today. Thanks for having me. Glad to. Farnoosh in the place to be. How do I know of Farnoosh? I would like to start off. I know Farnoosh from Prolific Living, her blog many years ago, back in 2008, 9, 10, 11, around there, continued on. I didn't write as much after 11, 2011 or 12. Farnoosh continued forward. Farnoosh, how would you describe what you currently do to people when they ask? Well, um, to be honest, I quit blogging right. as regularly as I was soon after you. Uh, but um, <laughs> no, no, it was it, it, it was good. I mean, blogging is what got me started. Right. So just to give you a summary version, I had a long corporate career and blogging was the hobby that made me um, explore options outside of my career. Mm-hmm. And it led to me resigning my job and trying to figure out how to figure, you know, figure things out and, and make a living, mm-hmm. a good living without corporate America. Right. <laughs> and so um, I blogged for a number of years. I was also podcasting and I was, you know, doing my coaching and, num- you know, I had a number of programs and products online all around career development as well as personal development. And uh, fast forward to today. So I resigned from my job in 2011 and then I brought my husband on board in 2012. And Andy Brock, that's right, my mm-hmm. pillar. And you know, um, I I feel that we all go through this, which is you start a business and over the years it evolves, it grows, it changes, and you as well grow and change. So um, today, six six and a half, seven years after we have started our business, I am very much focused on private coaching and also group coaching in the capacity of uh, business career leadership and um, mostly working with business owners and entrepreneurs around the topic of my book, which I believe we're going to discuss, Mm -hmm. which is changing the way you have conversations in order to create your ideal clients from a place of genuine service Mm -hmm. instead of the place of selling. Right. Uh, so, um, so that's it in a nutshell. And we can go deeper in whichever direction you like, Armin. That sounds great. Now, when is your book coming out? Has it already come out? It came out November 6th, Election Day, U.S., mm-hmm. 2018. So just two days ago. Yes. The Serving mm-hmm. Mindset, Stop Selling and Grow Your Business. That's right. That's right. I had to fight for that subtitle, but my publishers were very gracious uh, because at first it doesn't make sense. What do you mean? Stop selling. And uh, that's exactly what I mean. You know, we need to stop selling and look at our customers and clients from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. When you're selling, you're, you're trying to like, it's sort of almost competitive or antagonistic like i am gonna get you to buy this serving is like i'm here to do things for you it makes sense and then i can uh, charge a certain price that my value matches up with 
Yes, yes. Um, um, and and um, if I can add to that, it's really um, um, a matter of selling being a, a self-serving agenda, whereas serving mm-hmm. serves both parties. Right. Uh, so, and it's really a perspective shift, which then changes the way you have the conversation and the results that you create. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a two-hour conversation this morning over tea with um, someone who actually gave us a quote at the start of the book. And um, he's an engineer, entrepreneur, and we were talking just about, you know, the mindset, Mm -hmm. the mindset that is not selling and yet you are running a profitable business. Mm-hmm. You are in business. So we are not throwing that out. We are shifting the way you approach a conversation or a relationship, which then results in a very different type of client. So um, um, where would you like to go with that? We can um, take any any angle. Well, one thing that comes to mind there is when you're selling Underneath that, it's almost like you're saying, I'm not exactly good enough. I have to do this sale in a way. Whereas serving is saying, I have this great gift and I am choosing to hand it off to you. I feel like it has more self-esteem to it. Yes, yes. You know, when you think of selling, I mean, it really depends on the person and and their perspective on it. But I can see where selling comes. And I talk about this in the book. Mm -hmm. Selling usually comes from a place of um, uh, almost like an obligation. And and this is, you know, the conditioning we've had. When I entered my business, I did not have a sales background. So naturally, I said the same thing to myself that many people say, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm not a salesperson. Oh, I'm not good at selling. Of course I did. Mm-hmm. I think everyone did. And, 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 and with a little bit of pride, in fact, I'm not a salesperson. Right. I'm Those an engineer. Yeah. Right. I am a writer. I am a coach. I just know that I need to do this selling thing, mm-hmm. but then I want to get it over with and then get to the, the, the real stuff. And that is a mistake mm-hmm. because we sabotage our own opportunities by that mindset. So... Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's a story that we have to stop telling ourselves. Um, selling is really something that I think um, if you do it right, it's a genuine way of serving and helping people. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, your client wants to know one thing. Are you the right person to help them? Can they trust you? Mm-hmm. Can you really help them achieve the goals or overcome the struggles that they have? And if the answer to that is yes, mm-hmm. then the rest is detail. Right. So your job is really to establish that trust and to figure out whether you are the right person to help them because – Let's be honest. Sometimes you're not. Right. And sometimes they are not the right person to work with you. Does that make sense? Yes. Now, sometimes when you find or a client is looking for you, what's one of the main things that they question you on? Like, should I be working with you? Is it the price? Is it uh, your personality matching with them? What's the main thing that appears to be the uh, objection or issue with someone Hmm. working for you or with you as a coach? Armin, so the question around objections in my personal experience. So as I mentioned to you, um, I have evolved as a coach over the years and then I I have become more clear as to whom I work with and and what I offer. But um, uh, the objections vary. I can tell you that the number one assumption I have made about objections is that 
everyone's number one objection is price. And that is not true. People that want to hire you and bring you on board their team, their life, whatever, they have different concerns, but they may use price as an excuse to communicate that because it's culturally acceptable to say, oh, but that's too much. I'm sorry, I can't afford it. Or that's outside my budget. That's a culturally accepted phrase. It's not necessarily the root of what's holding them back in saying yes. And so, and I realized I kind of ch- took your question and ran with it in a different mm-hmm. direction, That's but I great. hope this is valuable, right? Yes. So I think what what would be most valuable to, to our listeners right now is to make sure you hear the real objection and if you feel what they tell you first, such as the price, the budget, the timing, is not the real objection, that you develop the skill to probe further. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that was eye-opening for me when I first learned it from my own coaches because I never thought to think to question my prospect's objection. Mm-hmm. The objection that they come up with, I always took it at face value and then I proceeded to respond with my own defense strategy, if you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like somebody would tell me that um, or rather I would make a blank assumption that people had an issue with the prices I was charging. Right. And this is more common than not. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of business owners, a lot of freelancers assume up front that the price is going to be an objection, whereas that's not the case. So I think it's really important that if someone uses that as an objection, that you probe further before answering. This is really the the, 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 the most important point I'm making in this segment in that we don't immediately jump to defending our prices. In fact, I encourage you not to call it a price, but an investment Mm -hmm. in how much it is to work with you. And instead, you ask clarifying questions. What makes you say that, John? I hear that you have some concern around the investment of working together. What makes you say that? What is your real concern around that? Mm -hmm. And sit back and listen. Looking for their reasoning. Yes, really hearing them, because what really ends up happening is people start to trust you. They see that you actually care and you may still not get a yes at the end, but that's not the point. Mm -hmm. The point is you build trust and you also don't jump into defending your prices, which you never should have to do ever. Mm -hmm. This is about figuring out whether two people are a good fit to work together in a professional capacity. If you end up defending your prices, that reduces your professionalism because that means you doubt your prices and you feel the need to defend them. And if you're trying to attract a high caliber of client to make investments at several thousand or tens of thousands of dollars with you, Mm -hmm. then you need to really understand how to have a conversation at that level. So defending your prices should never come into that. And you need to know how to probe further when they bring up that objection, if they do, around your price. Right. We need to be able to respond 
to high level communicators at that same level or else they think uh, we're not going to provide the value they need. They're going to move on to somebody else who also has yes. a high price that works better yes. for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in fact, it's, it's interesting because um, the gentleman I was speaking with, the owner of his own company, he has an engineering consultancy firm. And we were looking at uh, one of the stories he was sharing, which is how he was the best deal um, uh, for a client, but they ended up going to someone who was three times as much. Mm-hmm. And I was asking him, what makes you think they went with that? Obviously, when they thought price was an issue initially, it was not. And in fact, they 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 went with someone who was a lot more expensive because they were looking for something else. So this is we an should make thing. Yes, it is. And it's a little counterintuitive, right. but once you understand how your ideal client prioritizes what matters to them, then it makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. This is true. I've noticed this sometimes. You look at it and you're like, wait a minute, but the price was higher over there. But that's what they wanted. They wanted the higher price and yes. to feel like it was more worthwhile at the same time. Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. One thing you mentioned in the book, uh, going for opportunities, being eager for opportunities is a key. What are some examples of where you jumped for opportunities or where you've seen somebody else take opportunities and it led to their success and they would not have been able to without that? Hmm. Um, I want to make sure I understand the question right. So you mean the attitude and the perspective of mm-hmm. being eager for opportunities? And, and maybe like examples of where taking any opportunity that was available. Oh, I see. I see. So, I mean, I think this this comes down to your attitude and your perspective, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and also your mindset around abundance versus scarcity, mm-hmm. which um, I I used to just scoff at that, to be honest with you. You know, how does my mindset really affect my opportunities? Mm-hmm. But it's so very connected because the energy that you bring to any conversation right. says more about you than the words you speak. Right. And that energy comes from your mindset, from the way you see yourself, your value, your worth, your confidence, your um, offering into this opportunity, what it is that you offer, what it is that you bring to the table. And it's composed of all of that. So imagine if you feel really low about who you are. I am just an engineer. I'm just a coach. I'm just this and that. And you go and you try to have a powerful conversation with confidence. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. And we are none of us that good actor that good of an actor. So, I mean, we may fool ourselves, right? right? I can act my way through it. I can fake my way through it. I've never been a fan of that. I'm sure you need to raise your confidence, but I think the mindset, how you really, really see and believe in yourself and your values and, and what you can bring will directly affect your energy and how you speak, your tone of voice, your eye contact, the words you use, the pauses you make. Right. Because if you're confident, you're not in a hurry to fill the gap and you allow the other person to speak, to open up, to trust you, right. um, to reflect on what you have said. And so these may seem like subtleties, Armin, mm-hmm. but when I learned to incorporate this in my conversations, not only did I relax because I didn't have to prove anything to anyone. I was here to serve. Right. It also made the other person relax and it became this 
really trusted environment where they could share, they could explore. There was no pressure. I wasn't using a scarcity tactic to cause a quote unquote close them. I was being there to be of service. But when it comes to working with you and making an investment, then because you are confident, because you know exactly how much value you can bring, then you are charging appropriately for your services as well. And you can put that forth with confidence and conviction, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. Also, I've noticed if there are two people of scarcity talking with each other, you almost get tired listening from afar. (laughs) But if there's two people of internal abundance, that's what we actually listen to. I think podcasts or YouTube videos, things where there's abundance in it. I just thought about that as you were speaking because if two people are talking from scarcity, it pulls from you and you're the listener. You're not even part of it. And you're like, why am I getting drained? Yes, it's heavy. It's heavy, right? It's like we choose to carry this heavy burden that I am and we've all heard it. I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And um, it's heavy, but to have more of a positive perspective and to really believe it, uh, you feel lighter. You feel a different kind of energy. And it's not just about the energy. I do want to make that distinction. Mm -hmm. It does um, incorporate other skills. Um, There is other um, uh, skills, talents that you bring into that conversation to form a relationship, to carry carry out a dialogue, to overcome objections, to, to figure out what it is you're offering and how to speak to it uh, but um, it's really important to have the right mindset to go into all that yeah that makes sense now I want to have a variety mm. of topics I want to go over one of them includes you and Andy a great partnership of sorts I can notice it from afar tell me how has that been instrumental in your growth over time Thank you. Um, uh, yes, my husband, Andy, um, where we met in college mm-hmm. and I've known him a long, long time. We mm-hmm. won't get into numbers, uh, but um, thank you. Yes, it has helped me tremendously because believe it or not, um, without him, I really don't know if I could do everything I'm doing, even though I like to think I'm a strong, independent woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely have a pillar behind me to lean on. So, um, you know, um, I have to say, um, we are polar opposites. Oh. And so, yes, we are. News, exactly. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? It has helped, but it has taken adjustment. Uh-huh. So, for instance, I've known him since my early 20s, right? right? And so I thought, and I'm married to him, and he's my best friend, and I've lived with him. So I thought when we start working together well into our relationship and marriage, okay. I I know everything there is about this man. Yes. I did not. I did not know the side of him that needs to be trusted Mm -hmm. to to work in his own style. We have different styles. We get things done in a different time frame. We approach things differently. He has more attention to detail. I want results yesterday. And so... I mean, that was another whole challenge we went through where it really was hard to make a decision as to whether, and I know couples go through this. I actually blogged about this, mm-hmm. whether, you know, you really want to go through your uh, your business, have a business with your life partner and whether that's good for you or whether that could actually harm the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so we decided because we had this overwhelming desire not to hire from the outside, mm-hmm. 
Um, I was partner with my youngest brother for uh, the beginning for the first year and it worked out great but then he had to move on um, then because that desire was strong we had to find a way to work together and not kill each other <laughs> and so mostly you know me not kill him right. poor guy and so it took a while it really took so much patience on my part to understand and to come to respect the fact that he actually is right on a number of topics that he has the better strategy, the better perspective. And he has earned this because we've, you know, we brainstormed with, uh, about things. I didn't know he was such a strategic guy. We both went to electrical engineering school, you know. And so I think that if you are willing to really, really work at it and you have to have a compelling reason as to why you want to even work at it, right. then it can be wonderful. Because we work together, we play together, we live together, we are married, um, and um, and it can be a little bit much sometimes. But then you also have to create the space for each other. So um, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is a nice deal and very great because it's the person you know as opposed to who knows somebody else. Yes, exactly. And the other thing that happens, I think, when you're polar opposites is that you are good in different uh, parts of the business. So you have the luxury to stay with your strengths, which are probably not the same as as your partners and vice versa, and divide and conquer in a way that really works for both of you. Mm -hmm. So I think um, as opposed to if we were alike, we would both want to say dominate or, or butt heads. So I think it does work out well, if you can work out the differences to capitalize on the on the 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 different personality. So Removing some of the gaps there between what you Yeah, for sure. Now, you do yoga a lot, like a lot. I don't think I do enough, but go ahead. (laughs) No. That's true. You're right. I feel like you don't do enough yoga. So. Okay, thanks. Yes, I'm working on it, Armin. (laughs) Okay, great. (laughs) Now, Uh, um, how important is it to your everything else or is it something that's extra? Hmm. No, it's pretty essential. And it's funny that you say that because this year has been a really tough year for yoga. I had, um, I developed an injury that I uh, foolishly neglected. And so it got a little worse and it came to a point where I actually had to pause and it was torture. I mean, I kind of had a little identity crisis, you know, who am I without this daily yoga practice? And um, I got redirected. It was actually really good for the business because I started to pour myself into the book launch and we also wrote another book that comes out next year. And so I, but I was forced to really look at the role of yoga in my life and, um, and then at the same time, heal, recover, learn to respect my body and the slow pace of injuries, healing and all of that, which I'm sure we have all experienced and then come back to it. So you and I are speaking in November. It's taken a few months, but I can tell you I'm almost back to my daily practice and um, I look at it differently and I'm even more grateful for it. And I just, um, you know, I honor it. I, I, I really um, uh, respect it in a way that I didn't before uh, because, you know, in the end, everything is temporary. I mean, our bodies will get old and worn. And, and um, um, I think, you know, yoga is something that I feel is essential 
because it's really, if you want to discuss yoga, it's really about the flexibility of your spine. And there is a my favorite yoga quote, which says, you are as young as your spine is <laughs> flexible, as your spine is flexible. So I am probably a little younger than you, even though you're still in your 20s, aren't you? <laughs> yes. No, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm 34. Oh, okay. Well, still a baby. But anyway, point is, the point is the health of your spine is crucial. And so hopefully you have something that takes care of that on a daily basis. I see the intelligence in that because uh, when I go to the gym, I do some workouts, but I know, Mm -hmm. I see the value and the vulnerability of not doing, what you're doing is great. I just know that. I can see it. Mm -hmm. It's just it makes the body able to process. But when you're working out, some parts get stronger, but at the same time... They get tight. I know. I know. Because I've had to incorporate other things to bring strength back into my body and heal my shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I totally get that. Well, there is no reason, Armin, and we can discuss this (laughs) offline, that we can craft a a 10-minute-a-day yoga practice for you so that you can be as flexible. (laughs) I just want to throw out for the listeners, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I did yoga five times at the, the gym a few years back. It was super like super challenging i can't even describe it because i'm not i can't i can barely touch like past the middle of my between my knee and my foot but it uh-huh. was memorable and i could tell that the people yeah. that were doing it were really benefiting i slightly benefited but it was obviously short-lived yeah 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 well you can you can return to it and you know what i am they willing to me. bet they banned, they banned you I don't believe it. But you know what? I am willing to bet it wasn't really your flexibility that was making it so hard. Mm-hmm. It was that you probably weren't breathing. Because when we get into difficult situations, we stop mm-hmm. breathing. And when you're in a pose, you don't That's understand. It, yeah. You stop breathing and everything becomes challenging. And so you just need That's to true. keep breathing, my dear. <laughs> so there that you go. <laughs> now, uh, yeah. you mentioned other books. I want to toss that in. Now, you have a book from before about a certain type of juicing and then you have an upcoming book later yes tell me a little bit about juicing and how it's related to you sure yeah so now i have two books that actually have have been you know um have done quite well i'm proud of them Mm -hmm. the healthy juicers bible which came out in 2013 and then followed by the healthy smoothie bible in 2014 and the book we have coming out in the spring is called um uh the big book of healing drinks and that book, so, you know, uh, juicing was um, the, the first thing I, I did, and it was really helpful. In 2007, I started doing this because my um, my dad was going through cancer, and um, it was a really big wake-up call for all of us. And I was going through my corporate hell crisis, and um, it was just a tough year. But I stumbled on juicing, and it was a lifesaver. So I fell in love with it. I started writing and blogging about it. And uh, one thing led to another. I started, I, I put out a self-published juice book, which then led to my current today publisher finding us through a search on Amazon. And huh. with the suggestion, we wrote the other book, the first book, The Healthy Juicers Bible, which is really all about juicing, juicing fruits and vegetables um, and drinking the juice. And there are things you can do with the pulp as well. Um, and also I have some detox recipes and some cleanses in the book. But um, 
That was followed later by healthy smoothies, which, as you know, is done in a blender, high-speed blender, and um, you use a lot of superfoods, and you try to, you know, still incorporate the leafy greens in there. And that is, again, another book with a number of recipes, as well as ideas on how to incorporate uh, smoothies into your life. But the next book, Armin, Mm -hmm. we got a little more creative, and I included, besides new juice and smooth recipes, we included a lot about tea. My passion, loose leaf, high quality tea, uh, the benefits of homemade broths. what is it? We had um, lattes, non-dairy lattes, as well as uh, tonics and elixirs. Oh. So a lot of drinks that you can make in the kitchen and uh, maybe um, even replace some of the unhealthier drinks that um, you might be, you know, in the habit of consuming, like sodas, what have you. Right. So, um, yeah. Well, question for you related to juice. So let's say mm-hmm. there was a juice that was apple uh Apple, and then, let's see, apple, cucumber, lime, grape, and banana. What would you, how would you change that juice to make it more suitable to yourself? Okay, so I don't juice bananas. Bananas, oh. that would usually go into a smoothie. But let's say you have the apple, cucumber, lime, and grape. Yes. I would probably uh, remove the grapes. Nothing wrong with the grapes, mm-hmm. but you already have an apple that's sweetening right. your juice. And I would add a leafy green vegetable. Spinach is the go-to one. Mm-hmm. Kale or chard if you are up for a little bit more earthy taste. And I would even throw in a little bit of ginger. Oh, ginger, to, right. to add a little bit of spiciness to it. And um, there you go. You're sense. good to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a little sweet, that one. Yeah. It's a little sweet. It's It's got the citrus from the lime. It right. has a lot of hydration with your apple and cucumber. Mm-hmm. And you get the leafy greens. Um, and, and then you could do things with the pulp. I mean, um, I have some ideas in the book on what you can do so that you're not discarding um, any part of the fruit or vegetable. Everybody make carrot cake with pulp. I'm there kidding. you go. I don't know. That's an idea. That's one of them, right? <laughs> yes. I, I think so. I think we put that on there. That's but um, I didn't want to recommend eating cakes while we're talking about health. So oh, that makes sense. I may not have. <laughs> right. Nobody, you, you didn't hear carrot cake, anybody, but it's really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Now, uh, yeah. we are both from, I mean, I was born, we were both born in Iran, interestingly enough. Yes. Uh do you have any thoughts of there? Do you go there at times? Do you communicate no. with there? Or is it just in the past? Well, it's certainly not in the past. I right. mean, it, it is it is physically in the past, but it's right. part of who I am. I was born and raised in Iran. I lived there until I was 11. Um, and then we lived in Turkey for a few years. Um, I have family who lives there. Oh. And I have never returned, Armin. Mm -hmm. My mom has gone back every other year, but I've never returned. I hope to someday um, when I feel it's um, safe and I want to visit. Uh, But until then, I, um, you know, I'm just, you know, in touch with family and uh, kind of watching from afar to see what happens to our poor homeland. (laughs) That makes sense. I'm also banned from there because I don't speak Farsi, but I'm sure it's a great nation. Mm -hmm. jokes on that Uh, now I wanted to bring it back in closing to a point related to selling and serving Um, this one's connected to I I watch a lot of uh, do you know Grant Cardone I don't know that's one guy Mm -hmm. and then Gary Vaynerchuk is another guy I watch a lot of Gary of course yeah yeah Mm -hmm. but uh, the Grant individual 
He's a little bit further removed from me, so it's not exactly my stuff, but he does describe mm-hmm. the value of uh, pricing and sales and uh, getting your uh, material out there priced right. Do you, what, how do you prioritize um, profit versus, let's see, profit versus, uh, like, how big important is it to get to a large amount of funds versus seeking freedom? How do you prioritize that? Hmm. Let me see. Is it more I mean, directed towards like uh, a state of freedom or having a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of, of money? Yeah. Yeah. Or, I mean, I. It really depends. I you you. I certainly want and do have a comfortable lifestyle, mm-hmm. which um, you know I think that's years of just being smart about finances and uh, 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 being uh, you know fiscally conservative, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, freedom is huge for me. I have thought about you know offering programs or doing things that might take away my freedom, and I have had to rethink them. So I mean, what I the, the leading motivator, okay, for me to mm-hmm. make decisions in my business is passion. What am and enthusiasm? What am I enthusiastic and passionate about? And you know, if I get enthusiastic and passionate about writing my sixth book, right. then that's what I will do. But it has, but I, but I do go through an analysis of whether that's a good idea, whether that will really affect the, the, the freedom, whether that makes sense financially, um, whether and what else I have to give up in order to take that on. So, I think what you're asking is sort of. I think mm-hmm. is sort of uh, figuring out how I make decisions. Light. Yeah, exactly. And I do prioritize freedom, but uh, it's also what I'm passionate about. Because to me, if I'm really excited and passionate about, like we're talking right now about yes. doing the um, the audible version of the serving mindset, oh. and so that is going to take an immense amount of time if I end up narrating it. Right. Um, if the publishers choose someone else, that's different. But I am so passionate about doing it that it will not feel like I'm giving up my freedom. It will feel extremely rewarding for a short period of time. Right. So, you know, I weigh things and I, I, I see whether I feel good about them, whether they make financial sense. And that's where I bring my, my partner, my husband in and we figure it out together. And he asks me the questions that he knows I may forget to ask myself if I'm really excited about something. So he kind of grounds me and makes sure this is a sound decision we're making. And I think that's really helpful. You know, if you're going through your business and you're always on your own, talk to someone or bring someone in, whether it's a mastermind friend, um, a mentor, a coach, somebody that can be an, an honest advisor, not family. Mm-hmm. Unless the family is in business with you. But I think our family can encourage us, can cheer us up. But for for them to give us sound advice, they really need to understand what it is we're trying to accomplish. And often our family is not in a position to do that. And it's it's not fair to expect them to do so either. So, um, so I hope that answers your question a little bit. And it really depends, that answer. If, if you know, you're a listener, you're, you're listening to this. It really depends what your priorities are. Right. Because I've had clients where stability 
stability of income is the most important priority for them. So for someone like that, it's really challenging to consider going into business for themselves and quitting their job tomorrow because that's just not their uh, their natural tendency and their priority. So for them to do really well with, with what matters to them a different plan needs to unfold. Um, they need to take a different approach than, say, somebody who was like me, completely fed up with corporate, couldn't take it anymore, and it was affecting my health, and I needed out. And I have to tell you, I did not exactly have a thorough plan. Mm -hmm. I just knew what I did not want to do anymore, which was to work for someone else. Yeah. But I um, I figured it out. And, and I work well under pressure, so I figured it out over time. Right. So Here. we really have to understand what's important to us to ourselves, and that's different for everyone. That was mm -hmm. my point. Mm -hmm. And here's a moment of pressure. You work well under pressure. If you had a message to all eight, seven point whatever billion people on the planet, it was like a sentence. What would be a mm. message that represents what you would say? Goodness, yes. Well, I would. Yes, it is. And I don't appreciate that, Armin. Yeah, it's out of nowhere. <laughs> Who would have thought? Well, I mean, it really comes down to love, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds cheesy, right. but really, can you just love yourself mm -hmm. and the person next to you or the person in your life a little more? And... Um, and, and realize just what a miracle it is that we are here, that we get a chance to to live, to breathe, to make a difference. Um, yeah, just love. That that's sense. that's all I would say. Yes, that translates to all languages. Yes. <laughs> she works well under pressure, people. <laughs> <laughs> Farnoosh, I want to yes. thank you for having been on the podcast. And The Serving Mindset is already out, which is wonderful. Glad to have had you on The Ormond Show. Thank you. My absolute privilege and pleasure, Armin. And we are out.